Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warriors. Welcome back to another episode. If you're new to Suncast, I just want to say thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention. You are giving us the one thing that you won't ever get back. It's not renewable. That's your time. We will promise to take good care of it and reward you for it. Today's expert guide serves as a utility regulator, energy attorney with an engineering background and over 15 years of experience in environmental and energy regulation with an extensive background in public utility regulation, specifically environmental policy, compliance, wholesale power issues, and corporate governance. We're going to cover a pretty wide swath, but ultimately we're going to try to answer something that I'm sure many of you are thinking about. If you haven't already, you should be. Have you ever wondered what the heck do regulators even do? Why is it important to my business and this industry at large? My friend, you're in the right place. I have that same question. Very recently, I was at the Midwest Solar Expo and I watched this lady speak on stage and I was convicted that she needed to be on Suncast. So we're going to dive in today with the chairman of the Illinois Commerce Commission, Carrie Zaleski. I hope that you do feel like you're in the right place. If you are, please take a moment after you've listened to this episode and click the subscribe button in whatever player you're listening to. It's probably Spotify or Apple if our statistics are correct. That'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always check out more than 600 additional clean energy founders, stories, and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. In an effort to give a credit where credit's due and a hat tip to a friend, Julian Spector, over at Canary Media, some of the conversation that we are going to have today is informed by an amazing series that they've done called Power by the People. And I'm going to read directly from one of the episodes that, in fact, when I first met today's guest, she quoted to me as a great resource. I concur with her and I want everyone to know how to uh, find it. In it, Julian starts, some of the most powerful gatekeepers of the clean energy transition are almost completely unknown to the public. I'm talking about public utility commissioners. In every U.S. state, these individuals regulate for-profit monopoly utilities, also called investor-owned utilities, on behalf of the public, you and I. More than two-thirds of the U.S. electricity customers are served by IOUs. So there's a good chance that public utility commission or PUC is overseeing the energy decisions where you live. All too often, their operators are cloaked in arcane language and procedures, and they remain inaccessible to the very communities they're tasked with serving. Carrie Zaleski has been tapped by both Democratic and Republican administrations to take on such increasingly challenging roles. The one that she holds today, I'd argue, is probably the most complex of her career, and I may also dare to say the most meaningful. As the chairman of the Illinois Commerce Commission, Carrie Zaleski serves as the head of that state's Public Utility Commission, the very body that we just discussed. 
and which I promise by the end of this conversation, you will understand a whole lot more about. In this role, she works to decarbonize the Illinois grid and ensure that more DERs, distributed energy resources, come online. Today, we're going to talk about her work on behalf of Illinois at two regional transmission operators, RTOs, and in ensuring that wholesale markets and transmission roll out align with her state's goals. Talk about regulatory and policy barriers that exist to increase renewables online and what they are doing in Illinois to strive to overcome them. Carrie, it's awesome to have a chance to finally get to sit down with you and learn more about your job. Nico, I'm really excited to be here. I'm a, I'm a fan of your show, so thank you for having me on. Thank you so much. Uh, I mentioned in the outset that I watched as uh, my, my podcast peer, Tim Montague, interviewed you from the stage of Midwest Solar, and I thought, man, I got to have this lady on the show. She really knows her stuff. Uh, there's so much that I don't know about regulators and the way our energy sector is regulated and how it impacts, as we'll talk about today, the very fabric of success, as we might describe it, for the clean energy transition. So let's go from sort of top down and uh, probably get a little bit into your background in a bit. But I'd like to answer the question that has to be on everyone's mind uh, if they haven't read Julian's article. That is, what is a public utility commission? Why should people care about their, what their state regulators uh, on energy are working on? Thanks for the question. I absolutely agree with Julian Spector. I'm so glad that he wrote that piece. Uh, the title is... What are public utility commissions, a beginner's guide? It's funny because, you know, I don't think my parents understand what I do. I've tried to explain, but I, I've sent them that article and I believe it's been helpful um, to say the least. I, I think we all, I certainly did before I started this job. I think we all take for granted when we flip the light switch and how our electrons get to our houses and, you know, when we turn the water faucets, how our water gets there and the same thing with heating our homes by gas. Turns out it's extremely complex, uh, involves a lot of planning and engineering and accounting and, and complex markets to make it all happen. So just a level set, as you mentioned, every state in the United States has a public utility commission and public utility commissions in some shape or form kind of exist all over the world. And that's because utilities are legalized monopolies. So we know that there is restrictions on monopolies in the United States, but this is a, a case where utilities are allowed to be monopolies and in exchange, they agree to be regulated. And so that is my job. I regulate these investor-owned utilities to ensure that we balance the interests of the utilities and the consumers to ensure least costs um, in reliable water, electric, and gas services. So how do we regulate these utilities? Um, we, we do it by controlling the, the purse strings. And I just want to compare that. So previous to this role, I was an environmental regulator. And so if there was an entity or corporation who violated the Environmental Protection Act of Illinois, we could assess fines. So we would chase them with a stick. And now we hold the purse strings. So the utility has to come to the commission to ask for permission for what they can spend on what, uh, what projects and how much they can earn when they spend. So if you think about it that way, it's, it's very powerful. But why does this matter for the clean energy community? It matters a lot. So 
one reason it matters is because we control how utilities spend money to build the grid uh, that we want, the grid of the, the grid of the future, the grid that can potentially be ready for DERs. So to make sure that wind and solar and storage can come online. But more than that, um, we're doing things at PUCs like setting uh, net metering amounts and for how long they last. We designed in Illinois, we just did this, we designed beneficial electrification plans. We uh, vote on storage plans. So how much storage is needed in a state and how we value the storage, for example. So if you care about uh, supporting renewables, you should really know who your PUC regulators are. And if you care about things like community solar and demand response, you should engage your regulator. If you have an opinion on storage or transmission or hydrogen, even PUCs around the country are tackling these issues every day. So I think the best takeaway is make sure you engage your regulator. I'm going to ask some what may seem to be very pedestrian questions. So bear with me. It is all in service of those out there like me who have never, frankly, taken the time to learn the kind of thing that you do every single day. And I have to say that this is yeoman's work. Let's acknowledge up front as what appears to be a full-time job. I believe that's correct. You, I presume, are making a state salary. You're making a government salary for someone who was trained as a lawyer, okay? Everybody knows that there are different levels of sort of career trajectory and lawyer and state employee don't all, don't exactly have parity in um, pay scale. So I uh, genuinely admire anyone who will take uh, a step away from an otherwise sort of vertically oriented financial career path to do the kind of work at a fundamental structural level that you're doing with the legal background that you have, with the understanding of the energy infrastructure and how this works. Is the word regulator and commissioner, is that interchangeable? I think so. Uh Usually the title is commissioner. So we're addressed uh, when we are sitting on the bench as commissioner and regulator. Of course, there's different types of regulators. There's environmental regulators. There's regulators in the finance, financial markets. But I'm using the word regulator kind of pejoratively in the context of energy. So I, I think they are in this in this space. You mentioned um, something that I'm not familiar with, beneficial electrification plan. Can you just explain what that might mean? Yes. Yeah, so... In Illinois, we have a goal to have 1 million EVs on the road by 2030. And how do we do that? We do that in a variety of ways. Um, and I should, I should level set by, by saying a lot of these clean energy initiatives came out of a, a piece of legislation in Illinois. It's called the Climate and Equitable Jobs Act. Mm-hmm. And you hear three words in there. You hear climate, you hear equity, and you hear jobs. And so this piece of legislation, it's a expansive, large, historic, unprecedented, it's been called a lot of things, legislation of nearly 1,000 pages that tries to give new tools to state agencies to decarbonize our grid and to meet our goals in the transportation sector. And one of those goals, one of the new tools we have under CJA is looking at something called a beneficial electrification plan. And that's a docketed process that comes before the commission and it looks at how a utility can spend or build out the grid to support EVs. And every time, by the way, that a utility is able to spend, they socialize the costs 
in all of every, everyone's bills. So if you think about it that way, it's it's um it's kind of like a tax and that it's it's something that, you know, you have someone else making a decision of how you're charged, but it is socialized amongst all customers. Yeah. And so a couple of things that we did in that beneficial electrification plan, we have to make sure that it benefits everyone. And so things like the wires that the utility have to build to interconnect to the um, charging infrastructure in certain instances can be socialized because that could be a barrier to entry. There's a lot of conversation and a lot of focus on on buses, especially the Chicago Transit Authority, the CTA, because we want to make sure that in, in touching on that equity piece of CJA, we want to make sure that everyone avails themselves of the benefits of these socialized costs. And one way to do that is through public transportation. Um, Under our beneficial electrification plan, there is some socialized costs to build out the infrastructure to bring on these charging stations, which can cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. So it's really just getting to building out the grid to support the initiative. If anybody's watching us on YouTube, which I hope you are, you'll probably notice that I'll smile from time to time. I have so much anticipation and also admiration for this conversation because to try to pack in what you've done over the number of years you've been in the commission into even an hour is a, is a daunting task. I feel like every single word I hear you say, right? Like I, as an industry participant, need to know it. I need to understand and intuit how it me- what it means for me. But also I I have 17 years in the industry and you're saying stuff that I'm like, okay, I can intuit it. I could play the smart guy that like tries to triangulate and say, okay, I think I probably know what that means, but I'm going to play the the idiot in this conversation for the most part today, because I don't want to make any assumptions that someone listening knows what you're talking about. Okay. So I'm going to come back around to things that frankly, like we're just going to pull the curtain back and say, this is what all this means. Cause you need to go do this at your state level. And we're going to let, and Carrie is gratefully like she's sitting in on behalf of every commissioner at every state telling you what happens behind the curtain so that you don't think it's a black box so that you understand how you can have influence and why it matters to your business and our industry. Okay. That's why we're here today. Just like, that's why I'm chuckling here. Cause it's like, all right, there's 15 things I can pull on right now, but the beneficial electrification plan ties back to CJ. We're going to talk about CJ in a minute. CJ is, is as landmark in, in Illinois as IRA is in the United States. It is a tremendous piece of legislation on par with what states like California and Hawaii have done, if not ahead of them. And we'll talk about why, and in particular, uh, Illinois is leading, not following. But I want to peel back the onion here. Firstly, I'll go in reverse order because they're a little more complex. Socialized means rate-based, correct? I just want to make sure we're using the same terminology. Yeah, it's social. I was trying to avoid the term. Believe it or not, I was trying to avoid a regulatory term. Rate-based is the same concept. Yeah. I think it's important that we introduce those terms though, so that folks understand if they go sit in a meeting, if they listen to it, they hear that terminology. So rate-basing costs means figuring out a way to have the cost of that technology implementation spread across the entire rate base. Literally like the people who pay the electric bills in that, on that grid, uh, we distribute that cost in some equitable way. And that's one of the biggest arguments. Like, is it being done equitably? Is rate basing it the right way to do it? Um, but it essentially means taking that cost and like a great example, if you want to go deep into a rabbit hole and I have to find a utility dive article, I'm sure 
is like the nuclear plant that ended up not getting built, but got rate based anyway in South Carolina. These are like problems with um, regulations gone wrong where uh, socializing that cost is uh, borne by the taxpayers, not by the folks that made those decisions. So I think this is a really important concept. We could spend the entire episode on it. We're not going to do that. I want to come back to 30,000 feet, talk about the PUC and how it is formed. In Illinois, maybe compared with other states, how do you become a commissioner? Yes, and I, I want to speak to a point you made earlier, if I can. You're right. This stuff is so complicated. It, it is humbling. I am humbled every day by the subject matter. I am so impressed by the folks that are engaged in this space. I will tell you that I spend a lot of time asking all kinds of dumb questions internally to my staff. I ask dumb questions externally. And yeah. so it it takes... It takes a lot of effort and engagement to really learn and then continue to go deeper into the weeds because you can go hundreds of feet deep into the weeds. I'll also add that a PUC, and then I'll get to your question, but PUCs are full of some of the most dedicated, but also professional staff percentage-wise, more than any other state agency. We have CPAs, we have PhD economists, we have lawyers, we have engineers, all trying to pay them uh, state salaries. And so they come to the PUC for impact and to make a difference. But how you become a a PUC, um, a public utility commissioner, I can tell you how it works in Illinois. And we are kind of the norm. Uh, There's actually, I'm going to point to another really great article that just came out by Jared Hareen. I hope I'm saying his name right. He wrote about this very aspect, looking at trends of backgrounds of how PUC regulators, what the trends and backgrounds are of PUC regulators and how it's moving. Um, the title is Who's Controlling Our Energy Future? And it's in the in Industry and Environmental Representation on U.S. Public Utility Commissions. I think it's coming out this month. But I was appointed by uh, my governor and how the process in Illinois works is you apply. It's a very heavy vetting process. You're vetted on your conflicts and your background, very rigorous interview process. You meet with senior level people from the governor's office, oftentimes the governor himself. And then you are submitted for a nomination for to be an appointee before the Senate. And then the Senate gets like 10 days, 20 days to, to either um, veto or go forward. So then when you're officially a commissioner in Illinois, you still have to be, um, you have to go through a Senate confirmation hearing. So I sit before a Senate committee where they ask me all kinds of probing questions um, and they vote me out of the committee. And then you're ultimately voted on the Senate floor. So there's a big process to it. And I, if I recall from the article, about 41 states out of 50 follow that process. So you're either nominated by your governor or you can be nominated by your legislature in other states. There's also PUC commissioners, public utility commissioners that are elected. And so obviously yeah. that's a whole other process. But with varying backgrounds, a lot of it, the deference falls to the governor himself. And then, of course, going through the Senate confirmation process. And are there rules around the relative size of commission uh, groups? That's set by statute. Everything that a commission does, we are creatures of statute. The size is set by statute. Um, We're at five. I think that's probably the most typical number. There are commissions that go up to seven. 
Um, there are commissions that are as little as three. So anywhere between that. And then that controls what, what the quorum is, for example. Just going to parse some of the things, the details around sort of the rules that you operate under. Are there rules around who you can and cannot talk to? Lots of rules. <laughs> so like what are the restrictions, I guess, generally speaking on PUC commissioners? The restrictions on commissioners, and I think this is common amongst all commissions, you cannot invoke a quorum. And that means something in different states. So in Illinois, I can talk to one commissioner. I can't talk to two at the same time. I can't be in a room with two other commissioners talking about mm. a case because that means that we would be deciding the case behind closed doors. Any decision uh-huh. that we make has to be in the open. The sunshine has to uh-huh. come in on all our decision-making process. Yeah. Compare that to Colorado with three commissioners. They cannot talk one-on-one. So you have this um, interesting dynamic where you're walking out on the bench. You have no idea where votes are. You have no idea how it's going to go. Wow. So that's the restriction amongst commissioners. And then I can't speak. I can't speak about open cases. I can't opine, predict, discuss and I, and parties that appear on cases and really anybody cannot have conversations with me about open dockets. And, you know, I'm very careful on optics as well. I have to be very mindful of who I am meeting with on a regular basis and who I'm certainly seen with in public. Um, so all these things are considerations, but the actual conflict is the conversation with parties before you, you, you cannot, it's a, you cannot talk about open cases. I want to hark back to what you just said. I love that this is a phrase that we get to hold on to. I just did a Google search, sunshine is great disinfectant, because I know there's a quote for it. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that Supreme Court Justice Louise Brandeis over a century ago said sunlight. Sunlight is said to be the best of disinfectants. And it was in reference to the need for transparency and good governance in civil society. So I think it's really, I think it's really cool that we get to, like, normally I'm asking people how they built their solar businesses. So I, this is a piece of our industry that you, you just have to better understand. We could name two, three, four dozen people. Uh, and often, as you mentioned earlier, who, who do a great job of, um, of advocacy at a corporate level because they take ownership and they understand the importance. Costa Nicolau is one I always point to because he's always active uh, on, on the East Coast, at least. And there are a ton like, you know, Tor Valenza and, um, and the, the, the CALSA team, they were all over, towards not with CALSA, but they were all uh, posted on LinkedIn and how they were doing legislation day, right? Like part of that is going and meeting with commissioners. And commissioners are often vilified, especially in California, but it's, it's sort of assumed in some circles that commissioners are bad, <laughs> that they don't have our best interest at heart. So I wanted to have this conversation and we are um, digging deeper here so that you can understand that this is a very complex world that Carrie and her and her uh, compatriots operate in. It's really instructive also to understand this whole idea of, of when and how you can have conversations and the idea that you could walk in Colorado into the, into the bench and not know where your peers are on, uh, on a topic, uh, can, can be very intimidating to say the least. You already had a job in government and quite literally put your, put your name in the hat, so to speak, to get on the commission. I'm curious, first of all, uh, for those who are wondering, how would I join a commission in Illinois? It's as simple as going on a website and literally kind of nominating yourself or somebody nominating your, you as well. Correct. That's correct. Okay. It helps to have people that will vouch for you. It helps to have a track record. Uh, but why did you do that? <laughs> That's a great question. And it's funny when I get in front of 
law students or engineering students, I always tell them if I could go back in time 20 years earlier and I had someone standing in front of me, I would say to my younger self, go into energy, don't go into environmental, go straight into energy issues. Don't pass go, don't collect $200. Mm. It is the place to be. And and let me talk a little Mm. bit about my path and how I ended up um, wanting to be a commissioner. So I, you know, I grew up in a family with engineers. I had, my dad was an engineer. My brothers went to school for engineering. You know, I just thought that's what I should do too. I was good at math and science. At some point it popped in my head. I wanted to be a lawyer. I had no lawyers in my family. Not sure where that idea came from. I was probably watching a TV show, maybe Allie McBeal. I don't know, but it popped in my head. So you have to do something with your undergrad. I go into engineering which I did love. I, I loved the uh, the rigor, the challenge. I love understanding how things work. I really believe in technology innovation. I think that is the thing that is going to get us through all of these challenges, particularly climate change. But there was this, this um, engineer in residence, so an alumni that came back and he was a patent lawyer. And he said, that's usually what you do. You go from engineering to law to be a patent lawyer. And so that's kind of where my head was going. And, you know, it's very lucrative to be a patent attorney. So I go to law school, kind of drifting around, and I externed at a patent law firm. And I learned it is not, it is what I don't want to do. It is uh-huh. very technical. I, patent attorneys are incredible. We need them. This is how we advance our society through patents and these types of technologies. It keeps the United States in front of everyone else, no doubt, Yeah, but not for me. Because it was a lot of... Yeah reviewing the difference of one patent, one idea, one invention, right. and how is it that much different than the other? Um, so, you know, a lot of reviewing documents and dry, tedium. tedious. Yes. So didn't want to do that. So I, d- I didn't know what I wanted to do when I graduated law school. I went into private practice for hot second in litigation. Great to get the experience. Didn't want to do more of that. I'm learning what I don't want to do. Um, mm-hmm. And then I applied to work at the Illinois Department of Transportation. And I actually had interned at IDOT when I was in, in undergrad as an engineer, and I really liked it. And I went there as a lawyer. I really liked it because it was full of engineers. These Department of Transportation has a lot of technical staff as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walk into the job and the the chief environmental compliance officer, who was an attorney, left suddenly and my general counsel asked if I wanted to step up and take the role. So I'm a baby lawyer. Um, wow. and I, I was really excited for the opportunity, but this is, this is always, this is a, a great example of why it's really wonderful to go into state service because mm-hmm. as a baby lawyer, if I were in private in- industry, I would at a law firm or at an organization, I would not have gotten an opportunity so young. So I was an environmental compliance attorney, really like the environmental aspect when you know when sediment left the property in an IDOT project and the US EPA or IEPA had an issue with it, I would answer on behalf of the state. So that was my my general role. Then I shifted over in, in an appointed process to serve on the pollution control board where we were kind of like an environmental court if there was a violation of the Illinois Environmental Protection Act in land, mm-hmm. air, and water. Uh, really love that job. I felt you know like I got to make a really uh, a good amount of impact there as well. 
Um, we set the water quality standards in the Chicago River. That was one of my favorite cases that we decided. And now the Chicago River is, if you if you know the history of the Chicago River, it was it's one of the greatest engineering feats of all times because we used to feed all of our sanitation into Lake Michigan in the early 1900s. I think people were dying, so they reversed the flow of the river through engineering, um, and the water quality still needed time to catch up. But it was it was the last the last case, one of the last cases I was um, ruling out of the pollution control board that really sparked my interest. So it was called the multi-pollutant standard where we would take a generation fleet um, where the a coal fleet could decide how much socks and knocks that they could emit by you know ratcheting up one unit and over here and ratcheting down another unit as long as they stayed in compliance. And during that that hearing, there was this conversation of energy markets, MISO, must run, day ahead, energy, capacity, resource adequacy, all these words that I'm hearing for the first time. And I'm seeing how, how complex it is, which is really exciting to me. I, I love complex subject matter. Mm-hmm. And then the other piece of it is I, th- I felt like I could make more of an impact in energy. I think that's where if you want to make an impact in climate change, I personally think energy is the place to be. So, Go- so Governor Pritzker runs on this clean energy platform. He you know, vows to pass clean energy legislation, and that really excites me. Uh, I do ha- I'm a known commodity. I served on this, in this other role for, for nine years, and so kind of the rest is history. Um, I will say honored, humbled, hardest job I'll ever have. Really loved this job. One of the best experiences I've had. My my brain hurts mm-hmm. every day, every day. Yeah, and it's been amazing. Yeah, amazing. I love that you took the opportunity. Thank you so much. Took the opportunity in asking why you took this role to build up the career story that brought you here. It's as though you're a Suncast listener. (laughs) That was really elegantly done. Thank you. That was wonderful. I didn't have to ask for any of it. I want to highlight two things that came up for me um, that um, in service of uh, you, dear listener. So I'm linking to the article that she mentioned uh, from Science Direct back on um, uh, how PUCs work. Uh, You'll find that like a lot of stuff she's talking about. I'm both finding in real time and uh, and asking my team to link to in the final show notes. So you should be able to find that easily in the show notes. I had no idea that the Chicago River was one of the greatest uh, engineering achievements of all time. And so I'm linking to an interactive uh, article on how Chicago reversed their river. You should go read that. I think that's fascinating. And then there's one more. You mentioned some of the lingo that came up and we can't dig into all that lingo. We're going to dig into one of them in one moment. That's my next question. But you brought up resource adequacy. Resource adequacy, or in our parlance, RA, is something that very few people, especially developers, understand until they need to understand it. And if you need to understand it and you need a resource, I did an episode with my friend Will from Strata Energy a couple of years ago now um, when they did their first big battery power system that was helping with resource adequacy in, uh, in California that you should go listen to. So I'll just drop that link in the show notes as well. I want to make sure that folks feel like you are well resourced coming out of this episode. One of the things that you said earlier that I need to dig into, because this is another like, what the heck does that mean? I was asking uh, kind of how um, about the beneficial electrification plan. You said it was a docketed process. Okay, let's unpack that. What the heck 
is a docket? A docket is like like a case. If you think about court, mm-hmm. um, there is a party that files something asking for something. So mm-hmm. in a rate case, which is some of our, our most high profile cases, it is the utility asking to spend a certain amount and to recover a certain amount. So mm-hmm. they file and we open a docket or you can think of a case and mm-hmm. then parties respond. And parties that respond, we actually have staff from the ICC that serves as a party. We have the attorney general who's often very active in our cases. We have the citizens utility board that is active. So you have the utility putting on testimony. They have experts saying things and then the other parties can poke holes in what they're saying. And then the other parties can bring their own expert to, to rebut. And there's this back and forth of um, testimony and then they make then the lawyers come in and make the arguments of what they think the final order should say. We have a, an administrative law judge, an ALJ, that that decides these issues: who's right here, who's wrong, here's why. And then we ultimately have the commissioners in Illinois. The final order is decided by the commissioner. We can either approve the recommendation of the ALJ or we can edit the final order, which we actually do quite regularly. Um, but it's, it's a process and it's again, transparent. It's open to the public. People can listen to it. People can file comments. People can intervene. Usually I'll say when you want to intervene, you usually need a lawyer. So that can be, I understand expensive, um, which goes to your point about inaccessibility, which I, I really want to talk about that point as well. But to answer your question about the docket, it's, it's this docketed, it's, it receives a number and that's the docket number. And then we, you know, we listen to the testimony, decide what the order says and make a, a final ruling on it in open forum. You mentioned something to me in a, last, a past conversation. If you get to the end of a docket and evidence isn't there, an argument isn't there, unpack that for me. You will definitely know where I'm going with that and be able to explain it. I just want to prompt you for that. Can you help me understand kind of the way dockets work in terms of information presented and your ability to uh, interpret? Yes, it's a great question. So the docket is a filing on a website that everybody can read and we're all reading from the same thing. It's the docket. So if we get to the end of a case, a case like a storage docket or a beneficial electrification plan, and I'm reading the statutory language and I really want to do something about it. I want to rule in a certain way. But if it's not in the docket, I can't make the argument. I mean, it serves two purposes. So it has to be in the docket. And if I pull something out of left field and I throw it in the final order, first I have to convince two more commissioners to vote with me. And that's a real uphill battle if I'm pulling in something from outside the docket. But even more importantly is I'm likely going to be overturned on appeal. So I can only, I should only be deciding the case by what's in the docket. And if I, it's, it's kind of like you're, it's out of play. If, if it's, if I'm using something that's from, from, that's not in the docket, should not be considered. And if I try, it will likely be overturned on appeal, which is something a commissioner never wants. So that goes to the point of engaging in dockets. Um, and there's a variety of ways to do it. And, and interestingly, in CJA, we now have intervener compensation fund um, where you have to qualify, but there's this pot of money that if you qualify, if you're a nonprofit or low income, 
you can avail yourself of funds to use to pay a lawyer to intervene into a case. This is very new at the commission, so I can't speak to a lot of examples of how this has played out. But Mm -hmm. this gets to the point, see, just trying to address this inaccessibility issue because I care deeply Mm -hmm. about it. The legislature cares deeply about it. It's something we're trying to fix for sure. But that's one tool under CJA that is now in play. I love what you just described. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Uh, And it goes to, for sure, the E in CJA equity and, and justice generally. I have a friend here who works for Duke University in their engineering and and energy department. Obviously Duke University is the, well, not obviously, but for those who don't know in North Carolina, one of the top five energy buyers in the state. Um, So one of his jobs is intervener. So I know the answer to this, but I'm curious, can you help explain what it means to be an intervener and how that is something that anybody ought to be able to do? Yes. So I mentioned how it's, it depends, but it's usually the, the utility that's filing asking for something. So they're a party. And then the responding party is always staff, usually AG. But if the AG, for example, decides or decides to not engage in the docket, or if there's a, a third party that feels like they're impacted by the decision that's being made, and if you're thinking about a rate case, usually everyone's impacted. For example, there's a party that that comes together um, for CNI customers, um, large industrial and commercial users, they, they use a lot of power. So they're always advocating to keep prices low. That's a, kind of always their stance. So if they do not enter the docket at the beginning, but they are frustrated or at one point they want to intervene, interject, they want to make, um, you know, they want to make an argument. They want to bring in testimony, for example, you have to formally intervene. It's kind of like a legal term, but it's, it's, mm-hmm. you're filing um, a request for intervention. Right on. Uh, again, there's an entire, somebody could hold, do a whole podcast on how policy works and why it matters to the renewal sector and how, how and like a whole interview, interview probably on interveners. I could do that with Casey actually uh, as an intervener. Um, he would love that. So I have a, a point here on how public utility commissions are integrated uh, in terms of what they can, uh, what, what in fact they can regulate. Some PUCs are vertically integrated. Illinois is retail access. Can you define what does that mean and how does it matter for those that are trying to understand the role of a commissioner? The simplest way to think about it is if the commission regulates generation. Mm -hmm. So for a vertically integrated state, it means that the Public Utility Commission regulates the generation, the... um, distribution lines and oftentimes the transmission line. So I wish I could put a graphic up, but if you think about it. Yeah. I'm wondering if the, if the utility diver, someone has it, I'm looking at us. I'm, I'm going to see how I can find this an overview of, I think EPA has it. Um, and electrics. Yeah. National Governors Association also has it. So I'll find it and you keep going. Vertical integration explained. Yeah. So, well, and I just, the graphic I'm, I'm going to try to, to explain to listeners verbally is that um, you have these, and this actually comes into play with our conversation of distributed energy resources. So typically your grandfather's grid had a centrally located generation resource. Usually it's coal or nuclear or gas, and it's large systems. 
and it mm-hmm. um, moves over transmission lines. And transmission lines are usually alternate, alternate al- AC alternative current that mm-hmm. is a higher voltage that moves over longer distances. And then you switch to a substation that will step down the and also often change the frequency of the power. So going from AC to direct current and then to your house. And so I, that system I just explained, the vertically integrated PUC would regulate all of that. A retail access state like Illinois regulates the, mm. the direct current piece of it. Also, the substation... Um, you know, where the wires are, the poles, how it's built out, um, and the reasoning for that. So there was this trend back in the 90s to allow competition in so that when there was, you know, we're working with monopolies who are we're setting this price at a PUC and the legislature wanted to allow competition in so that a customer can choose whether to use the default utility or if they want someone else to supply their electrons. In Illinois, we call those Alternative Retail Electric Suppliers, or ARIES. And so now in Illinois, customers have a choice. And I'll say a couple of things about clean energy and how this comes into play. So if you're looking, and in the Midwest and in MISO, in fact, most states are vertically integrated. So I don't know if anyone's familiar with the map of MISO. It's the swath of the Midwest. It starts in the Dakotas moves down to Iowa, there's Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, Indiana, um, Louisiana's included. So it's that middle swath of the country. And Illinois is the, f- is the only fully retail access state. So these other states that have uh, that, gen- that regulate generation as well as the distribution wires, they do something called an integrated resource, resource plan, an IRP. Mm-hmm. And these public utility commissions can truly choose what type of generation comes online, what generation stays online. Like they are making these huge decisions about closures of things like coal plants and gas plants um, through their state process. Now in Illinois, we rely a lot on the markets at the RTOs. We're part of MISO in the South and we're part of PJM in the North. And so these are markets that are run regularly that pulls in our resources and another way that we meet our goal, our clean energy goal, is through emissions. Our Illinois Environmental Protection Agency, they regulate the emissions coming off of generation plants. So they're trying to ratchet it down, especially on the gas side under CJA. Um, so I hope I answered your question. Anybody who is thinking, how the heck am I going to follow along here? There are so many more resources that we're going to link to, resources from the future, Uh, Power Market Structures by the EPA, the National Governors Association. I've found a ton of links that have helped me kind of learn this. Uh, I think that the the documentation by resources for the future on electricity market, sort of U.S. electricity markets 101 is critical. Um, I also have asked my team to link to uh, the work that Bill Nussie did on freeing energy because he explains it really well, kind of how all this works. Um, so there's plenty of other resources. You're going to be able to go as deep as you want, um, or just listen to this episode and you're getting a ton of info here as well. Um, I think one of the key takeaways here is, uh, Illinois as a, as a retail choice, uh, uh, state, um, one of only a handful in, uh, in the U S let me see two, four, six, eight, ten. looks like maybe 10 to 12. Texas is probably the most well-known one. 
Um, Ohio is another that is fairly well known. So that means that you don't regulate generation. Um, and that it helps to understand if this impacts your state, like if you're in Georgia or Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, you want to know this stuff and you'll need to go do some additional sort of thinking and, and studying on it. We'll unpack some of it here for Illinois and why it matters. Given now we understand how the, um, the, the structure works vertically integrated or not um, being retail access for you, how as a commissioner, do you attempt to meet clean energy goals? Since you aren't, you can't actually regulate generation, which is the thing that creates the clean electrons. How do you, how do you then affect change at the clean energy goal level? Well, let me talk about two points in history. BC, sure. AC, before CJ, after CJ. <laughs> You're so good. Well, I've, uh, did, you know, my life completely changed on that date, yeah. September 15th of 2021. So before CJ, a big way, um, a big tool that we had in the state was the renewable portfolio standard through RECs. I'm sure you're very familiar with the concept of mm-hmm. RECs. So we would create this new revenue stream for clean energy, knowing that it brings value to our state. We'd run this auction to give payments out for cl- for the clean attribute through the REC program. Um, so let's fast forward to CJA. There's all kinds of new tools to meet our clean energy goals. So our RPS was increased. So we're trying to buy more RECs, um, but we're doing other things as well. So, yep. and, and let me just- I'm going to pause for one second. Anybody who doesn't know what RPS is, it's Renewable Portfolio Standard. It is the way that the regulation uh, targets are set. Right, keep going. Yes. And then the thing about CJA is that it, it builds on itself. And so we started with a, a grid audit where we looked at where money was spent in recent years on the state of play of the grid. And the, so we looked at our two electric utilities, Ameren and ComEd. We did things like how many applications for interconnections were received? How many were processed? How long did it take? You know, and we just did a head ca- a count of number of substations, inverters, just to understand what's on the grid to use kind of like a benchmark. We also did a storage study where we looked at the um, cost benefit analysis of storage, the need for storage in our state. That's a, a study that we voted on in open docket and sent it to our general assembly. We also did something which was really interesting called performance-based metrics or PBR. Yeah. And this is this is gaining um, some trends in, in the United States. I think there are other commissions really looking at this. Uh, Hawaii did PBR or PIMS is another way to, to refer. And the idea of a metric is that the, the best way to incentivize a utility is to pay them when they meet a goal. So it creates a, an incentive, a, a carrot. And you can set any goal you want. You can set a goal of zero outages in a year. You can set a goal of how quick the utility answers the phone when a customer calls to complain. I mean, you really can set whatever you want. Um, but the legislature um, spoke to this. So C just speaks to this. And there was a variety of metrics, but I think three that are, are interesting to this audience are reliability. There's a metric for meeting reliability marks. If they meet it, they earn more money. Uh, peak demand reductions. So things like demand response or even behind the meter, you know, solar, like shaving the the peak days. And if they're able to shave the peak days, they can receive more money. There's also another metric on interconnection timeliness. So if they can reduce the timeliness um, for 
for entities, DERs, battery and solar, to be interconnected to the grid, they can earn more money. And then I mentioned the beneficial electrification plan and all of those dockets I've just, just described all feed into a docket that's open before us. It's called the multi-year grid plan. This is a forward-looking docket. So we look out in the future of what is the grid that we want in Illinois in four years. And so the utility gives us their vision on all the parties and interveners uh, will file their thoughts and we'll decide what the vision should be. And then we also approve how they spend to meet that vision. And, and the vision is discussed in CJA as well. Um, we're required to build this grid of the future. What is the grid of the future? Well, we want to support decarbonization. We want to facilitate DER deployment. Again, this is all in legislation. We want to enhance reliability and resiliency. We want to reduce grid congestion and we want to optimize grid assets. And so just to put a little bit more meat on it, um, when we move from the grid 1.0, kind of the dumb grid, the grid that just has electrons moving one way to the house and then there's nothing interesting happening, we want to move to the grid 2.0 in Illinois. We want a grid that has two-way flow. You plug in your EVs and you receive electrons, but if the grid needs it, you can also give back electrons through smart inverters and, and smart meters like that. Um, we want to make sure that there's more DERs both behind the meter on your on your rooftop, we want solar and storage and on people's rooftops, but also access to community solar, and that creates different dynamic flows. Uh, we want demand response. We think demand response is really important. It turned out to be the hero in Winter Storm Elliot, where we yeah. nearly had a complete shutdown on the grid. So demand response, we want to make sure we're supporting demand response. Um, we want to make sure that it's ready for smart inverters, more energy efficiency. And the last point I'll make is democratization of the grid. So the hope is, is that people can have more choice of how they get their electrons, where they get their electrons, how much they pay for those electrons. So kind of a feedback loop on how folks want to engage with the power system, um, that is something that is really important for this grid 2.0. And it all starts with building out the infrastructure, building out the distribution grid. And that's what we're approving at the Illinois Commerce Commission. Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built-in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution or C&I Solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. 
most people probably don't know that you have taken on at the national level with Nehruk a, a very um, specific role in helping shares of commissions think about these problems. So I'm curious, where do you see through your other uh, Nehruk affiliated commissioners that they're learning from Illinois? What do you feel like Illinois has gotten right? I, I think when you look at the legislation, some aspects that were really thoughtful. So let me talk a bit about CJA. It was a combination com- combination of years of conversation and working working groups um, that the ICC was purposely not a part of because we would be implementing. But it was a lot of effort and it brought in labor. We have a very strong labor force in Illinois. It brought in the um, clean energy advocates for sure, but it also brought in the environmental justice community and advocates for low-income residents. And so really it was the attempt to try to do this holistic approach where we looked at not just increasing the amount of renewables online, but doing it with equity in mind and doing it to build a clean energy economy and, and creating these tools at various agencies. And I would finally say that it's the pace of it. So I think it cuts both ways. I think that there have been, you know, some concern. There has been some concern about it moving too fast, but I think it was designed to move fast because the issues are coming at us so fast. Climate change is here. The New York um, Yankees game was canceled last night because of the mm. air quality. Yeah. I mean, it is upon us. Extreme weather events are caught are wreaking havoc on our grid. So I think yeah. it's it's the pace. We were frankly likely behind some of the leaders in the state, and we went from zero to implementation in three years. Siege's first round is done in three years, so we kind of moved kind of quickly to the front of the pack. Um, there's a saying in regulation that you never want to be first; you actually want to be second. So there's a bit of you know doing it first comes with um, risk and maybe some lessons learned. But I think um, I think the pace is a big piece of it. But even since siege has been passed, I see other states taking on clean energy initiatives. Minnesota just passed sweeping reforms. The reality is, is it's now the the states are following the trend for a variety of reasons, not just because of um, you know clean energy initiatives, or excuse me, not just to support renewables or to meet emission goals, but because of the costs of the technology coming down the reliability that these DERs can add to the grid. We're seeing that these DERs can be the thing that that can um, bypass major outages where in extreme weather yeah. events, we're seeing other entities not showing up, like how gas didn't show up during Winter Storm Elliott in the PJM region. So I, I think that it's it's kind of the, the whole picture. It's trying to touch on these points in Illinois and, and the pace um, but I certainly am learning from other states. Uh, we we always look to California. They uh, I just read the book California Burning. It was really mm-hmm. interesting. Highly recommend it. Um, but they certainly have their share of problems. We we don't have forest fires here, um, right. thankfully. And so they have all. So they're they're work they're working with speed because the issues are already in their backyard. New York is doing a lot of really interesting stuff, especially um, on storage. I love to learn about what they're doing to increase storage. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned from other states as well. You mentioned working groups. Uh, How exactly do you 
mobilize ideas. As a commissioner, you said you're not involved in some of these things because you can't. Um, help us understand how some of this stuff moves through uh, legislation, given that you can't uh, you can't initiate it or ask for it. You know, we we can certainly comment or be engaged in legislation, mm-hmm. but I'll also add, we, we try to serve as a technical resource. Um, I've testified before the general assembly, our bureau chief of public utilities, Jim Zoneric is knows everything about everything at the commission. And he's yeah. often called down as a unbiased technical resource. And so that's kind of one of the other reasons we've been staying out of some of these topics, because we want to, we want to, him to be seen as the unbiased um, resource. So we do that by, again, you know, educating legislators to the extent that they're open to it and making sure that we're available and we give good testimony, honest answers when we're asked in a public forum. But I think as far as, you know, working groups, another part of CJA is that they would just order the commission to open and start a working group or start a workshop series. And so that's where a lot of these conversations are the details of how these dockets go forward are figured out in the workshop group. So there was a lot of ability, a lot of, of the um, authority to hear and to kind of maintain these conversations at the commission. Is there anything that you want to unpack around DERs? I know that you are a particularly strong advocate for DERs. How is Illinois you know, adapting the grid to support more renewables um, around the two things that I know are like particularly hard to figure out right now, but one is interconnection, Illinois, for sure. The other is DERs. I'll let you answer those in whatever order. It makes no sense. Yeah, I, I agree. I think DERs are the answer to a lot of things. For example, yeah. let's start with the, the, the economy. It brings this clean energy economy mm-hmm. that we really want to support in Illinois. Um, also, you know, I think it's a really interesting solution for low income customers. So, yeah. You know, and, and and the problem is that low income customers may not be able to afford the down payment um or any of the or might not have the credit to afford um solar on their rooftop. And there's kind of two ways we're thinking about it in Illinois. C- community solar can be a really good solution. And there's mm-hmm. there's um support through CJA. For example, the solar for all um is is a way that we support um to ensure that clean energy developers are working with low-income customers, for example. There's also a really cool thing under CJA called the um, Equitable Energy Upgrade Program, or it's called another state's pay as you save. And the idea is that if you don't, if you qualify as a low-income customer and you don't have the ability to put money down, you can, you can put solar panels on your rooftop and it's built into the cost um, of your, your build each month separately so that your bill does not go up exponentially. And then you receive the savings through the solar usage, through net metering, things like that. So your bill hopefully goes down to the people who need it most. So it touches on the equity piece. Um, yeah. But also, I think even more importantly is um, the reliability and the resiliency. So I, I think of reliability and resiliency in two different ways. Reliability is kind of like the short outages on the distribution grid for a variety of reasons. Resiliency is the major events that wipe the grid out um, for days at a time. And DERs can help there because um, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, studies and investigations into something like virtual power plants where you take yeah. the DERs on whether it's a, an EV or a rooftop 
or a rooftop solar um, unit or a storage unit and you link them together and they can feed back into the grid when truly needed. Um, so we find a lot of value in DERs, but so how we're, in, well, how we're supporting them in Illinois is kind of three basic ways. First, we're, we're building the grid to support DERs. I, I've talked a bit about this, how we're making sure that there's sufficient wires and substations and smart inverters and looking at things like interconnection times to make sure there's enough DERs that can connect to the grid in Illinois. We also have these incentives. I th I've touched on this as well. The renewable portfolio um, standard net metering is another way that you can support DERs. There's a docket that we'll be opening called the value of the DER, and we're going to create additional resources for DERs looking at how they help the grid. What is the value they bring at that point in the grid? And if they bring more value, they can earn more of a rebate. So it's, again, capturing the true value. And then the third bucket I'd say is removing barriers. I feel like I spent a lot of time trying to remove barriers. The biggest one, interconnection. So we've made some some changes to the interconnection rules. We've also started an interconnection working group. This is a nice thing for your listeners to know. And this is a yeah. really good example of a way to be involved. So an interconnection working group meets regularly. The commissioners do not attend. We try to keep this open conversation. And sometimes when a commissioner walks into a room, it can have a chilling effect. So the idea of the working group is for everyone to, to say their stance and to say everything they're frustrated with and talk about what is working. And hopefully with all the different groups like utilities and developers and consumer advocates, hopefully they, they realize that there's actually some consensus there. And so they can right, common ground. put forward some consensus. And they'll also find where there is like, there's no way they're going to find a solution or a resolution. And they take those issues and then they can push it up to the commission for a decision. So those are kind of the three buckets, I'd say, of how we're supporting DERs in Illinois. I'm just taking a note. They push those issues that, that where they cannot find resolution up to the commission. So they can open a, a docket using our uh -huh. word of the day. Yeah. I love that. The word of the day. <laughs> I need to, I need to institute that here on Suncast. <laughs> you know, you've talked a lot about, and one of the things that um, the DERs as a, as a category, you know, distributed energy resources is complex. It can come in a lot of ways from, as you mentioned, like your vehicles to batteries on your home, to even a nest thermostat, because they, allow us to control at the, uh, at the user level uh, or to distribute energy at the user level, these resources, rather than having them centrally located and controlled um, uh, centrally. And it's a very complex evolution of our grid. It is probably at the core of what we refer to as the energy transition, um, because not only are we transitioning generation, we're transitioning how and when electricity is used and where that electricity is stored, who gets to decide when it's turned on and off. All these things are complex. They're all in some way regulated at the PUC level. One of the things that you mentioned to me um, that that is you know, particularly perplexing and that you get the joy of working on is how to ensure that new clean energy technologies uh, of all stripes can find their way onto the grid in a timely way. How do you help em enable this technology to get access to the grid? I know this is one of your uh, pet peeves. Yeah, I, I've stated earlier that 
I think innovation is the thing that solves this major problem because this transition is going to be difficult and not without missteps. And that's why we need all the ideas, all the innovation. And I mean, both hard tech and soft tech. So not just yeah. the uh, most innovative battery, but also software that can manage and create like a distributed service operator, like its own little market on the distribution side. That stuff is really innovative and really cool. And so, you know, it's not my job to pick and choose what comes on, what doesn't. It's it's the utilities grid. And we certainly talk about it a lot with the utilities to make sure there are multiple ways for a new clean tech uh, company to engage with the utility. And they've assured us there are, there is, you know, a person to talk to regular, you know, there's a, a portal and a way to um, engage with the utility, request a meeting. They, they work with EPRI a lot, which is an organization that supports these types of technologies. So yeah. having these conversations with the utility, um, I, I've been once been told that the most powerful thing that a commissioner can do is ask the question of a utility, you know, just ask them about it. Cause then they see that's where yeah. your interest and focus is and they want to mm -hmm. make sure they have a good answer for you. Yeah. So we're certainly asking those questions. Um, I know one of the, one of the questions you've been asking them is how are you thinking about Illinois capturing the IRA money to support the renewables? We say we want on the grid, right? <laughs> that's right. Um, I wanted to say one more, a couple more things of like a really important piece of, of allowing clean energy to come onto the grid is mm. access to data. And it may sound yeah. kind of simplistic, but by allowing um, different entities, third parties, new technologies to access the data. I mean, if you think about it, there's a reason there's privacy around it. We don't want other people to know who's home, what's ours, why, what are they mm. doing? I get that piece of it. But if you have that information, um, businesses can figure out who is who should be their target. How can they help them save money on their bills? What is a service or a product that could solve it? So this data is extremely valuable. I mean, you know, it's we know data is very valuable. I mean, look at issues with yeah. like Facebook, for example. So mm -hmm. figuring out the sweet spot, making sure that yep. there is meaningful access to data for third parties, but also protecting privacy is a problem that I think every state is facing at every PUC. We have a working group for data access as well. So plug there. Yeah. Um, but with regard to IRA, um, particularly IIJA. So I think there's a lot of opportunities for utilities to access money through IIJA and hopefully bring innovative solutions to the grid but also bring down the cost to consumers because if they're getting money from the DOE, then hopefully it brings down some of the costs that rolls down to ratepayers. And so what we did in Illinois was we opened something called a notice of inquiry. And that is simply questions asked to the public, um, mostly geared to the utility, but we ask it in a public way so that the utility can answer with their their answers, but everyone else can answer as well. And the questions were like, what do you think that you should be applying for utility for under the IIJA? What is your plan here? What are good opportunities that you should be applying for, whether it's a, a direct grant or a competitive grant um, to bring back to Illinois? What's, what's the plan? So they would answer their ideas. Other parties would answer. And sometimes it's not the same answer. And then the utilities can respond to other parties and the parties can respond to. So it's this open conversation and it's it's on our website if anyone's interested. And 
The IRA is a little bit more indirect because it really is to touch on that like supply chain, the manufacturing, which to be clear is probably one of the biggest issues and maybe the thing that's slowing down the transition the most. Um, I think supply chain on the federal side, on the market side, you know, interconnection issues, transmission issues, these big issues can all be linked to supply chain. So I'm really optimistic and hopeful that the IRA will start get start to get things moving in that front. But it really is like the IIJA um, that we focus on and ask those questions publicly. Right. And for those who are unfamiliar and aren't living in Illinois, it's the Illinois uh, Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2022. So I'll link to uh, I'll link to a couple of articles that will help inform more those who want to dig into that. Carrie, I'm so honored to have had an opportunity to really dig in deep with someone who has made it her, you know, her, her job to parse the, the differences and, and help folks understand how they can engage and actually make decisions that push the clean energy economy forward uh, as a, as a penultimate sort of almost final note here, I would love to get your, um, your, your takeaway. If someone here is listening as a solar project developer, even a marketer, a participant in the clean energy sector that is trying to figure out like, how is this my responsibility? What might you have to say to them? If they could sit down with you for coffee, what might be your advice to them? Yeah, I, I know we talked about a lot of very complex issues and it, it gets pretty um it gets pretty complicated fast. But I, I think about engagement kind of in three levels. So first, you can always make a public comment. You know, you can at any point request to speak before a commission. I think this is the case in all fifty states. Certainly in Illinois, it's just a asking for the ability to speak. That's kind of one level. You can participate in a workshop as you move down a level. And that's a really great way to have kind of more casual conversation. So to bring your expertise of your technology, of your business model, bring it to the conversation in a meaningful way that can really truly have impact on the the direction that the commission moves. And then finally, you could you could file. You could file either directly or you can file through a trade organization. So a plug for the trade organizations. They do a really mm-hmm. good job. They hire you know, and employ really smart people. I, I I engage with them. I've met them. I've talked to them about issues. They are really smart. And so if you, you know, are a member or if there's a way to engage with them, they also have a strategy about when to intervene. So it, it can be a really meaningful way as well. Um, and then there's no shortage of, of resources of, of how to learn more about the commission. A quick plug, Illinois has a consumer's guide for the Illinois Commerce Commission. It's you know, multiple pages. I get that. And so, you know, you really have to spend a little time reading it, but um, I think it, you know, it could pay off. We talked a bit about Mm -hmm. Canary Media has great resources, great information coming out. Um, And then, you know, so many great podcasts that give a state of the play of kind of what's happening in the energy market. I know Suncast does a great job. Are there any others that you listen to? Um, Besides Suncast is my number one choice. Um, (laughs) I... I've been listening a lot to Catalyst with Shale Khan. Oh yeah. He had, yeah. and he's really smart. So smart. He's so smart. He talks about a lot of things, but he just had um, Rob Gramlick on and he talked about transmission, which is mm. a whole nother alphabet soup of regulatory terms, but we spent a yeah. lot of time thinking about in Illinois. So that was really helpful. Yeah. 
Well, I am so honored to be uh, mentioned in the same breath as someone I truly admire, Shale Khan. And um, certainly as we started off this with Julian's article from Canary, have deep respect for the work they are all doing over there. There's so many folks that are working hard to make sure that the folks are educated on this and that we stay current, not the least of which are those organizations you mentioned. um, I'll I'll mention them by name, SIA, SEPA, America Clean Power, Vote Solar. Any of you who are at Midwest Solar saw John Delury on stage, a huge, amazing advocate in the Midwest for uh, the work that needs to happen at the grassroots level with Vote Solar. Um, There's also Solar United Neighbors. There's so many people that are working very hard to make this thing fly. No, uh, and I think that truly the people who are, I said earlier, vilified, uh, unfortunately, far too often are those very commissioners whose job it is to parse the wheat from the chaff and make hard decisions and help get this, uh, get these goals uh, memorialized in uh, regulation and legislation. Uh, you won't be commissioner by the time this publishes. What do you hope will be your legacy? Yeah, thanks for the question. Um the last four years have been the toughest, most challenging years professionally. I've treated this job as a sprint at a marathon distance, and it's all been worth it. Uh, It's been truly the honor and experience of a lifetime. I have to thank Governor Pritzker for giving me this chance to make true change. When I think about, you know, all the things and and the legacy that I, I hope to meet, I first hope to leave the commission better than I found it. I, and I think I have, um, our staff's incredible. We've worked to even build a stronger and uh, better recognized staff for the work they do. Um, I really work to increase transparency and accessibility to the commission. That was really important to me as well. Um, and then third, and, and perhaps most importantly, the reason I wanted this job was to ensure that I removed barriers to entry, to bring on these types of resources, clean energy resources. I truly believe that they are the thing that is going to get us through this transition. Um, when we see these extreme things happening to um, that happening to our grid, the only way out is through um, a lot of innovative clean energy resources coming on in a very smart way. So I hope my legacy is getting us through the first round of CJA. Um, it was no small task, but it's certainly worth it in my mind. I hope that's my legacy. And I, I kind of also hope that Illinois re- reputation for being a leader in clean energy is is now at the top of the list. So if Illinois is not on your map or not on your radar to to develop or to engage in any sort of clean energy build out, it should be. And I hope I hope that is the takeaway. I hope that is the message and the legacy that I leave as I walk out of my last day on June 16th. Well, Carrie Zaleski, as you are now the former chairman of Illinois Commerce Commission. Uh, My hat's off to you and all the hard work that you've done, uh, including the last 90 minutes of uh, of effort and intention here educating our solar warriors and clean energy champions. Among them, I count you as a major one. Thank you for the hard work that you all are doing in Illinois and for what you've just helped document as I hope to be a, a standard for others to listen to and and be inspired to utilize uh, the work you guys have done in Illinois uh, to set standards in other states that will soon follow. Thanks, Nico. Um, thank you for all the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you for giving me a voice to, to reach a, louder, a 
a broader audience. Um, and thanks for having me. It was a true pleasure. Wow, that was fantastic. How are you feeling? Thank you for coming along for the ride. Do you, is your brain hurting? As mine is, so much content and information packed into that conversation. Thank you, Carrie. Thanks, Kaylee, head of comms over at the Illinois Commission. Thank you to everyone who helped put that episode together. And thank you, Solar Warrior, for tuning in all the way through to the end. I hope that you feel empowered. I hope that you feel smarter. You've learned a lot more about the docket process, the what it means to become a, a commissioner, a regulator. We've learned so much. Check out the show notes over at mysuncast.com because I know that you, like me, are an infinite learner. You want to drill down on all of the research, the links, etc. So you, my friend, and Philo Math can find all of the links that helped serve my uh, research and all the things that I found during that interview over on the blog at mysuncast.com. Click on show notes. In the description of the podcast player, you should be able to link directly to it. I'd like to thank you for taking a moment if you really enjoyed this episode and our show uh, the way Carrie does as a, as a listener. Would you please rate and review the show? It helps others like you discover this content so that it can help improve their business career and trajectory the way I'm sure it is helping you and yours. You can do that in podcast players by just clicking on the star. And uh, if you can't figure out how to do it or you don't have the time, it's easy to go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast at your leisure. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. And it truly is probably the most beneficial and meaningful thing that you can do to help. The second most meaningful thing that you could do for us, for which we will gladly exchange uh, ideas with you, is taking our listener survey. We engage in our listener survey throughout the year, but we push it usually a couple times a year. If you go to mysuncast.com and scroll down, you'll see uh, a little sun that says we're listening. If you click on that, that's our listener survey. And uh, it might be linked down here somewhere as well. Uh, but I really want to know how we can serve you better. And in exchange, as you know, we usually get book recommendations from our guests. I am a, a reader and I believe that readers are leaders. And we've summarized, uh, our, my team has particularly helped summarize the top 20 takeaways from the 30 top books that I find uh, have been mentioned the most or have been the most impactful as recommendations from guests on this show. We packaged it in a little PDF called the 600 insights from 600 episodes of Suncast uh, in exchange for giving us your insight, information, feedback vis-a-vis -vis our listener survey. We will give you that, that 600 insights PDF. Thank you so much for taking the time to do it. I want to finally thank our sponsors who help make this show free to you each and every week. You can find out more about them and their offers at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Of course, that's also how you could find ways to partner with and get your brand in front of our audience through this show and our other channels and reach the solar warriors and clean tech champions that tune in twice a week, just like you do. And last but certainly not least, I want to remind you that you are what you listen to. Thanks for showing up, solar warrior. It's half the battle.